Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Weird. I am one of your hosts. My name is Dan Lajoie, or in some parts of the world, Dan Lahoy. And sitting virtually across from me is my trusty co-host, my trusty co-host, Riley Stewart. Riley Stewart. I forgot your name. I am, you would think after all these years, I would have your name down, Pat, and I don't. Well, it's, it's all right. I'm just so impressed that I think for the first time, maybe since maybe the first two episodes, you gave a reasonably serious opening to the Let's show. Let's get right to the show's topic. Tonight, I would like to talk about the keytar. Is it a keytar? Is it a pianotar? Since the early 1600s, this instrument has wreaked havoc on the world. And tonight, in a deep dive, we're going to explore its impact on humanity and the animal kingdom. Do you know I had a keytar? <laughs> you did? In the 80s. Yeah, I did. A keyboard that you played like a guitar. It's really hard to play. Oh, I bet. It's re- you constantly have to look down and check your fingers. Yeah, it's really now, hard to play. I, I will say this, that in the kind of music that you performed in, or, you know, like electronic 80s music, right? Yes. That it was, it, it could be cool. In the heavy metal sort of realm, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. But the good thing about it was that it got a keyboardist out from behind the keyboard because keyboards are a notoriously horrible instrument to play live because you're stuck, mm-hmm. right? That's why a lot of bands, like you go see Depeche Mode and they do tons of visuals because they're all stuck behind keyboards. So the guitar got you out rocking with the big boys. There you go. You can do that. Wow. It made that noise too when you played? Exactly that noise. I, it took me years to get the right noise. You sound like like a, an elf on Fast Forward. Well, that that's that's what I was going for. Cool. All right. Uh, you're well, though. We're ready to launch into this. Before we begin, I do, because this is uh, the first episode that we've recorded since the debacle with my uh, audio, uh, with the plantations, uh, I believe that was episode 63. Yeah, the Myrtles. And I think I know what happened, Riley. It, I believe the, the software that we use to record switched my mic from my my good mic this mic to uh the work mic that i often use your headset mic but you know riley sometimes there's silver linings and i think what was nice about that is it picked up all the noises you clearly hear my children in that episode (laughs) stopping boy do you ever right because the mic that i'm using now often will actually cancel out a lot of those noises i may be hearing them uh but the the good listener doesn't so Anyway, that I, I hope that doesn't happen again. And folks, you, you have to understand, it sounded really bad, and Riley worked some beautiful magic to make that thing uh, audible. So kudos to you, my good friend. Well, it sounded like we were communicating from a very great distance, like you were far in the, like it was a seance voice, like, Dan, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, Riley, I can hear you. Yeah. It was like that. It was like Maybe a we should have just said we, that's what we were going for. Yeah, that I'm tonight. Dan will be communicating to us through the Ouija board. We're idiots. We should have just kept our. We should have kept our mouth shut. I can never keep my mouth shut. Never tell me a secret. Yeah, I know. But tell me a story, Dan. All right, all right. I'll tell you a story, Riley. So tonight, this is a very different kind of story from the one that I would normally tell. Uh, in fact, one of the main things that that for me that was very different is that there's not a lot of source material for this. So I'm going to full uh, a disclaimer here. Uh, The main source for this uh, is an article from uh, New York Magazine's The Cut, which is their their website, I guess. Okay. Uh, And by by a guy named Reeves Weidman. So there's a lot of other sites you can go and and research this story, but they all are citing the same article. And the reason for it is that this guy got exclusive rights to the family it impacted. Very public story, but they only spoke to Mr. Reeves Weidman. Okay. Thank you, Reeves. Well, and I, I highly encourage you to go and read uh, that piece, it's rather lengthy, but it's really well written and will provide even more detail that I'm, and it will sound better than me because I'm a blumbering idiot. Well, you're doing an, an oral presentation, but he have, would have written it and edited it and polished it like a loving, whatever, like stupid. All right. So this tale takes us to uh, Westfield, New Jersey. It's an idyllic town about 45 minutes uh, outside of New York. The town's 38. 30- 
8,000 residents are largely well-to-do families. It was recently ranked the 99th richest city in America. Oh, wow. So it's rich, you know. Because yeah. what? The, the, the U.S. is about 350 million people. It might be more than that now. So if you're the 99th richest city in America, you're rich. But you're not, you're not gr- grotesquely rich. You're just rich because you're 99. Right. Yeah. But also the grotesquely rich are in this area. Oh, okay. It's like New Jersey has like the, I think like nine of the richest neighborhoods in, in the U.S. Hmm. Okay. It's all the people that work out of New York, right? They live right, in New Jersey. Right, of course, yeah. So it's also the country's 30th safest town. And according to The Cut, residents view Westfield as a real-life Mayberry, the fictional small town that served as a backdrop to the Andy Griffith show. Everyone knows everyone, very friendly, warm place. People will often leave their doors unlocked. Mm-hmm. But the affluent suburb has been the scene of its own share of horrors in the past. In 1970, a man named John List infamously murdered his wife, mother, and three children in their Westfield home. But that horrifying crime had since become a distant memory, and most people in Westfield felt secure in their community. For Derek and Maria Broadus, buying 657 Boulevard in Westfield had fulfilled a dream. The Broadduses were a fairly average suburban family. Maria Broadus had grown up in Westfield just blocks away from their new house, and Derek grew up in Maine to a blue-collar working family. And through a lot of hard work and putting himself through school and moving up in his career, they were finally able to buy their dream home. But as the couple was preparing to settle into the $1.3 million house with their three children, something happened that would change them forever. Oh, that sounds ominous. In June of 2014, Derek Broadus had just finished an evening of painting at the new home when he went outside to check the mail. They were doing some light renovations themselves on the house before moving in. They did have a renovation company there that was doing some heavier work inside, like in the basement and things like that. There had been a water uh, leak problem when they bought it, but still got 1.3 million, which is tells you how nice the house is. Eh? Yeah, really. So he went outside to check the mail and what he, there was just a few flyers and stuff like that, except there was also a white card shaped envelope in the mailbox. And it was addressed in thick, clunky handwriting to the new owner. And the type note inside began warmly. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? The writer asked. Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Can you fucking imagine getting that in your mailbox? Late at night and you're alone in this big house. I'd be like, get the boxes from the curb. We're packing them back up. So the author's reconnaissance had apparently already begun. The letter identified the Broadus's Honda minivan, as well as the workers renovating the home. He wrote, I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be, the person wrote. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. Can I tell you something, too, that I recently found out? You're going to love this. Do you know what tisk, tisk, tisk actually is? No. Yeah. That's what it is supposed to be. Yeah. We should just do a whole episode now just going, we sound like squirrels. The letter writer also remarked on their children. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Are there more on the way? Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me 
Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I'm in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I'm in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. The letter concluded with a suggestion. Okay, just hold up. Hold up, Dan. What on earth? Okay, the fact that you're using that voice makes it even better. I just have to say, you know, sometimes you make odd voice choices. This is not one of those times. You pick the perfect voice. That's really creepy. I would be calling the police and in a hotel. Yeah. Yeah, well, and they haven't moved in yet, right? Oh, my God. I, that, so they're only there. They're there during the day doing getting the house ready to be moved into. But they're, they haven't moved in. That house would be back on the market. Right yeah. back on the market. So the letter concluded with a suggestion that this message would not be the last. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. And then it was followed by a signature, a signature typed in cursive font, The Watcher. This is terrifying. The Watcher. This is terrifying. So it was Dan, late at night. Dan, stop. Will you stop? You're just like a freight train. I just noticed something too. You have big, hairy Tom Selleck chest. I never noticed that before. How long have I known you? It's not that bad. I trim that normally. You never wear a collared shirt. Well, I, I haven't seen you in a collared shirt probably in 10 years. Anyway, this is shaping up to be one of the most disturbing stories you've ever it's laid It's an odd my- one. It's an odd one. I'm freaking out already. It's creepy. And again, very different than any kind of story I've done before. Maybe it just rings bells for me. I don't know, but it's really creeping me out. And, and, yeah. And before we jump off, I'll say this. Like I've had weird things like prank callers, mm-hmm. right? Especially late at night. I had one several years ago. It was late at night, like in the middle of the night, woke me up. Someone's on the other end of the phone breathing. It's unnerving because you don't know, is it random? Are they focusing on you? Is this a prelude to something worse? Right? Absolutely. So it's late at night when Derek gets this. He's alone. He's exhausted. Uh, He raced around the house, turning off the lights so no one could see inside. He then called the Westfield Police Department and an officer actually came to the house that night. Thank God. And he read the letter. Uh, He asked Derek if he had enemies and recommended moving actually a piece of uh, construction equipment that he had outside on his, in his backyard uh, or sorry, his porch. And uh, he said, yeah, just in case someone wanted to get into your home, they could use that to smash through your window. You want to make it as you know difficult as possible for them. So the police took this rather seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek rushed back to his wife and kids uh, and they were still living at their old home elsewhere in Westfield. So I guess they, they had arranged their close date, right? And for their, their move date for their old home. That night, Derek and Maria wrote an email to John and Andrea Woods, the couple who sold them the house, to ask if they had any idea who the watcher might be or why he or she had ridden. Andrea Woods replied the next morning. A few days before moving out, the Woodses had also received a letter from the watcher. The note had been odd, she said, and made similar mention of the watcher's family observing the house over time. But Andrea said that she and her husband had never received anything like that in the 23 years that they had been living in the home. And they kind of threw it away thinking it was a prank, not thinking much of it. They weren't, they certainly weren't terrified, but then, you know, they're also moving out of the house. Yeah. Okay. That day, the Woodses went with Maria to the police station where detective Leonard Lugo told her not to tell anyone about the letters, including her new neighbors, most of whom she had never met and all of whom were now suspects. The Broadus has spent the coming weeks on high alert. Derek canceled a work trip, and whenever Maria took the kids to their new house, she would yell their names if they wandered into a corner of the yard. One morning, the Broadus's general contractor arrived to find that a heavy sign he had hammered into the front yard had been ripped out overnight. Oh. Someone was unhappy that they were there. Yeah. Two weeks after the letter arrived, Maria stopped by the house to look at some paint samples and check the mail. She recognized the thick black lettering on a card 
shaped envelope and called the police. Oh no, another letter. letter. Number two started as follows. Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster's a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. This time, the watcher had addressed Derek and Maria directly, although it needs to be mentioned that he misspelled their names. So their names are Bradus. He, he wrote Bradus. So broad, B-R-O-A-D, is how it should be spelt. He wrote B-R-A-D, like Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. You know him? He's an actor. Had the watcher been close enough to hear one of the Broadus's contractors addressing them? The watcher boasted of having learned a lot about the family in the preceding weeks, especially about their children. He continues. I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. The letter asked about one child in particular whom the writer had seen using an easel inside an enclosed porch. Is she the artist in the family? The letter continued. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the Watcher, and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on, and kindly sold it when I asked them to. The Watcher seemed to be upset by new money moving into town and their renos. Are you one of those... Aboken transplants were ruining Westfield. The house is crying from all of the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard when I ran from room to room imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old. So did my father. But he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Braddis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard. And now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I'll be watching. Derek and Maria stopped bringing their kids to the house after that. Really? Yeah. Okay, whoa, whoa, mule, whoa, mule. I said, whoa. Oh, you're drinking wine again. Perfect. Okay. He mentioned, (laughs) I can't get this out of my head. This is so creepy. He mentioned something in the walls. Yes. That's really messing me up. Yes. Have they found what's in the walls yet? It's odd because he's almost talking like he's either communing with the house itself, mm-hmm. like the house is a living entity, mm-hmm. or that you know he's he has like easy access to the house. But he he it seems to like he has an actual relate or she has an actual relationship 
to this place. Now you're going to, in the course of this podcast, tell me if anything bad ever happened there, right? Nothing bad that anyone is aware of ever happened there. Oh my Lord. Okay. So I can, I, I can. You put that to rest that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm not going to build something up that that's just not, you know, it's not there. So they're not bringing the kids into the house anymore. They're terrified. And now at this point, sort of speaking to what you said earlier, they're not even sure if they want to move in. Oh man, I wouldn't, I would, I don't think I could. Dream home, the neighborhood they always wanted to live on, live in. If you look at the house, click 657 Boulevard, right? It's a nice, it's a nice house. Yeah, it's a very, uh, it's a little more modest than I thought it would be. It's just a very nice wooden home. Yeah. It's an old home, but it's nice. It's, it's not uh, palatial, but it's a, it's a beautiful middle-class home. Yeah. Very nice Americana, old time, old timey vibe. That's right. I find that so funny too. When we hear price tags, like 1.3 million, I think of that as a freaking mansion, but prices have on homes, I, I know in North America, have skyrocketed so much over the last several years that like 1.3 million is becoming like your standard middle-class home. And my question, who the frick is going to be able to, like, where is this going? Well, I think that the reality now is that a lot of people are buying homes with the expectation that they will never own it. Right. You know? They'll always have a mortgage. Yeah. All right. So the nightmare, unfortunately, for this family was not over. They had continued to do their renos in the home. They had their general contractor. Derek would go and check in on the house, but they were not going there at all anymore. They are terrified, but it's things continued. So several weeks later, a third letter arrived and it simply stated, where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. So that was it. That's it. That's it. So built in 1905, the house was, and you could look, is maybe one of the nicest homes on the block. There's some mo- very modest looking homes there. This one is very nice, as we just mentioned. And when the Woods family put it on the market, they had received multiple offers above their asking price. Okay. Desirable neighborhood, right? Very. That led the Broadduses to initially suspect that the watcher might be someone upset over losing out on the house. But the Woods, Woodses said one interested buyer backed out after a bad medical diagnosis while another had already found a different home. Andrea Woods proposed another theory. Would the mention of the contractor, trucks, and your children suggest that it was someone in the neighborhood? The letters did indicate that the person lived close by. They had been processed in Kearney, uh, which is the local distribution distribution center for Northern New Jersey. The first was postmarked June 4th, before the sale was public, the Woodses had never put up a uh, for sale sign, by the way. It was, mm-hmm. This was all done through realtors, quietly. And only a day after the contractors arrived. The renovations were mostly interior and hidden, for the most part, from the public. So whoever knew that they had moved in was intimate somehow with this house and right. its goings on. When Derek and Maria walked Detective Lugo around the house, They showed him that the easel on the porch was hidden from the street by vegetation, making it difficult to see unless someone was behind the house or right next door. And if you take a look at that, at the house, it's the structure on the far right of it. Okay. A few days after the first letter, Maria and Derek went to a barbecue across the street, welcoming them and another new homeowner to the block. The Broadduses hadn't told anyone about the watcher, as the police had instructed, and found themselves scanning the party for clues while keeping tabs on their kids. At one point, Derek was chatting with John Schmidt, who lived two doors down, when Schmidt told him about the Langfords who lived between them. Peggy Langford was in her 90s, and several of her adult children, all in their 60s, lived with her. The family was a bit odd, Schmidt said, but harmless. He described one of the younger Langfords, Michael, who didn't work and had a beard like Ernest Hemingway, and <laughs> described him as a kind of Boo Radley character. Okay. Derek thought the case was solved, right? You have an odd, weird family that lives yeah. right next door that has, you know, they're within earshot and they can see your house. Well, and a bunch of kids in their 60s that are still living at home. Red flag. One of them is described as a Boo Radley character. Right, of course. Now, if you're a fan of, I was going to say One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. If you're a fan of, um, why can't I think? Harper Lee. 
Why can't I remember to her name? To Kill a Mockingbird. If you're a fan of To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, then you know that Boo Radley is also not a bad character. He's actually a hero in the story eventually, mm-hmm. right? So just keep that in mind. So the Langford house was right next to the easel on the porch. The family had lived there since the 1960s when the watcher's father, the letter said, had begun observing 657 Boulevard. Richard Langford, the family patriarch, had died 12 years earlier, and the current watcher claimed to have been on the job for the better part of two decades. When the Broadus family told Detective Lugo about the family, he said he already knew. And a week after the first letter arrived, he brought Michael Langford to police headquarters for an interview. Michael denied knowing anything about the letters, but the Broadduses said that Lugo told them that the narrative of what he said matched things mentioned in the letters. But there wasn't much hard evidence, and after a few weeks, the police chief told the Broadduses that short of an admission, there wasn't much the department could do. Frustrated, the Broadduses began their own investigation. Derek set up webcams all over the house and spent nights crouched in the dark watching to see if anyone was watching the house at close range. He also drew up a map that showed which houses would have sight lines onto the veranda, where the easel was, and which houses would have been within earshot. Only a few houses met their criteria. Desperate for answers, the Broadduses enlisted a slew of experts to investigate. Derek reached out to the real-life FBI agent who inspired the character of Clarice Starling in Silence of the Lambs, uh, with whom he was on a school board of trustees. The Broadduses also tapped former FBI agent Robert Lenahan to do a threat assessment on the letters. His analysis showed that the writer was likely an older person, based on vocabula- vocabulary, and their habit of double-spacing after a period. Lenahan concluded that the letter writer didn't appear overtly threatening, but their obviously erratic thoughts could suggest unpredictability. They also hired the security firm Kroll to look for handwriting matches to the envelopes, but none emerged. Still determined to get answers, the family hired a forensic linguist and former member of the band, and I love this, Shanana. Oh my God. Robert Leonard. Do you remember them? Shanana with Bowser. Yeah. They they had like a, a they have like a TV show. Yeah. Hey kids, it's time for Shanana. I'm not, I, that, there was actually an announcement at the beginning of the show that sounded exactly like that. It was awful. Well, and didn't they, it was like a variety show. It was, it was terrible. It was really bad, right? Yeah. They were a fifties emulation band. That's right. So they didn't do any original music, but they did the fifties doo-wop rock, a Billy type stuff. Right? I think they did some original stuff, but don't quote me on that. I watched a video with them, mm-hmm. like performing it and it was like Blue Moon. I think they were, they were doing, they're fun. It's fun. They, they they were very good singers and the dancing and you talk about the piano tar, guitar thing, but like the, the pian, the pianist is like jumping and like bopping yeah. and the guitarists are like everyone, there was like a lot of energy coming off that stage. It's the kind of thing that you would want to hire for your kid's birthday party. <laughs> yeah. Or your, your parents. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Keep the party going. Yeah. So. Uh, they hire Robert Leonard, uh, who was no longer a member of Shanana. He 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 actually is he's a professor now in, at some university, and he's a respected forensic linguist. Uh, so he scoured local forums for language patterns that resembled the mysterious watcher's notes, but all of these efforts came to nothing. Despite assembling an incredible investigative team, the Broadduses had no answers. Nevertheless, the couple remained convinced that the Langfords were involved. In cooperation with Westfield Police, the Broadduses sent a letter to the Langfords announcing plans to tear down the house, hoping to prompt a response. But mm-hmm. nothing happened, right? So this was a, a fake that they were hoping maybe that they would get another letter. And uh, now we know that, yeah. you know, yeah. Detective Lugo brought Michael Langford in for a second interview but got nowhere. And his sister, Abby, accused the police of harassing their family. And I need to take a moment here to think about what that would be like to be them if they were, in fact, innocent. Yeah, that would be awful. And this family that obviously has some money here. Yeah. Derek and Marie have some money. uh, If they're hiring all these people, they're being kind of harassed. And there's no hard evidence to suggest they're actually doing this. No, and it's it's also picking on somebody who's like the least bit different, who falls outside of your definition of normality, right? It's like that's right. immediately go for the eccentric person. Well, why? Now, the flip side of that, I understand the Braddis is, these are the, this is the thing that probably makes the most sense. Yeah. And your family's been, th- your children have been threatened. 
Like yeah. some people go lose their ability to think clearly when their loved ones are threatened. But I have noticed that nothing can cause people to lose their shit more than stuff to do with their children. And I don't mean just children being threatened. I mean anything. Like look at people at school board meetings. Look at oh, at people are so people get just vicious when it comes to their children. It's an instinctual response partly. I yeah, think. I think so too. It's that protector, mama bear, papa bear kind of thing. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So eventually the Broadus has hired Lee Levitt, a lawyer, who met with several members of the Langford family, as well as their attorney, to show them the letters along with the photos explaining how their home was one of the few vantage points from which the easel could be seen. You know, so and I have to give them credit for trying this route, like to say, look, this is why we're suspicious of you. And, you know, but apparently the meeting ended in a stalemate with both sides feeling more frustrated than ever. Oh, Okay. There were reasons, though, to consider other suspects. For one thing, the police spoke to Michael before the second letter was sent, which would make sending two more especially reckless. He knew he was already being watched. So to send two more letters and not make any reference to, you know, thanks for getting the police involved type thing is a bit odd. Yes. Then there was the rest of the neighborhood to consider. The private investigator found two child sex offenders within a few blocks, which, by the way, I find... Shocking that there'd be two, let alone one, you know? Yeah. Bill Woodward, the Broaddus's house painter, had also noticed something strange. The couple behind 657 Boulevard kept a pair of lawn chairs strangely close to their, their shared fence and facing their property. So they easily could have been eavesdropping on the family and, and would have had a vantage point to see inside their home. Mm-hmm. By the end of 2014, the investigation had stalled. The watcher had left no digital trail, no fingerprints, and no way to place someone at the scene of the crime that could have been hatched from pretty much any mailbox in northern New Jersey. The letters could be read closely for possible clues or dismissed as the nonsensical ramblings of a sociopath. In December, the Westfield police told the Broadduses that they had run out of options. Derek decided to try a completely different route and show the letters to his priest who agreed to come over and bless the house. I thought that was odd. It's a bit, that's very Amityville. They did that in Amityville. It's very Amityville. But Riley, guess what? What? It didn't help. Hmm. In a fourth letter, the watchers seemed to be getting more and more unhinged and angry. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. Well, needless to say, the letter didn't work. You know, as warm and as inviting as that letter was, the family wasn't swayed. That was really off-putting, that letter. That's, oh, that's creepy. The idea of moving in, you know, just the idea of moving in filled the Broadduses with understandably overwhelming anxiety. Uh, And they never actually did move in, ever. Oh, they didn't. Never moved in. Oh, wow. So it really affected them that deeply. Yeah. So six months after the letters arrived, the Broadduses decided to sell the house. They initially listed it for more than they paid to reflect the renovations they had done. But the word had gotten out on why the house sat empty. Several preliminary bids came in well below the asking price, but the Broadduses weren't ready to take such a financial hit. Derek and Maria thought about what they would have done had the previous owner told them about their letter from the watcher. The Woodses told the Broadduses that they remembered the letter they received as more strange than threatening, thanking them for taking care of the house. 
They say they never had any issues and that they certainly never felt watched. But the Broadduses felt the name alone was ominous enough to merit mentioning to a new family moving in, especially one with three young kids. And on June 2nd, 2015, a year after buying the home, they filed a legal complaint against the Woodses, arguing that they should have disclosed the letter just as, uh, just as they had the fact that water sometimes got in the basement. Then things got even worse for the family. Oh boy. A local, well, not that way. A local reporter had found the complaint, which included snippets of the watcher's menacing threats. And after a belated attempt by the Broadduses to seal it, the story went viral. The Broadduses got more than 300 media requests, including a reporter who set up camp on a lawn chair outside their house, but decided not to speak publicly to spare their kids even more attention. Eventually, Derek and Maria sat down with their children to explain the real reason they hadn't moved into their home. The kids had plenty of questions. Who is the watcher? Where does this person live? Why is this person angry with us? To which Derek and Maria had few answers. So the watcher is an ongoing mystery, right? We talk a lot about Reddit. And if you go onto Reddit, you're going to see a lot of people theorizing on who it might've been. A commenter suggested ground penetrating radar should be used to find whatever the watcher claimed was in the walls, which you would singled out as being really eerie and creepy. I would do that. Yeah, I would absolutely do that. Or sonar, they use that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So apparently they when the home was inspected initially, all they found was that the the home needed more insulation. They didn't find anything in the walls. That's not to say that they did an extensive search looking for bodies or something, but um nothing was found. Another uh Reddit user obsessed over Google Maps Street View, <laughs> which showed a car parked in front of 657. The one user thought had a man holding a, a camera in the driver's seat. Like, I don't know when that person looked at it. There is a car parked outside their house. If you look at, yeah. at street view, I couldn't see anybody in the car. It's tinted windows. So, but it's possible that what that Reddit user saw was from years ago. Cause that looks like it's from la- a year ago, that, that street view. Yeah. And this, you like that sort like the, the source that I was looking at was from the teens. So it's it's very possible that there was a, a different car that people are looking at. The range of proposed suspects included a jilted mistress, a spurned realtor, a local high schooler's creative writing project, which I love, uh, a guerrilla marketing for a horror movie, which we know all about, can sometimes lead to people to think that there's a real yes. horror story when it's completely fabricated, yes. right? Or just, and this is a quote, mall goths having fun. <laughs> you know, those mall goths are so vicious. Mall goths. In my experience, by the way, people who, are, who I guess identify as being goth are typically very kind. And also very smart. I have my roots in that kind of culture. Yes. Yeah. You know, I remember when goth started and everybody, everybody I knew who was into it was smart. Like, am I wrong? Typically they're kind people. Yeah. And they're chill. They're intelligent. They're just, yeah. they just like the idea of like life being a costume ball. It's fun to dress up. And also like the dark, the spooky is very intriguing. It's fun. It's interesting. And they're exactly, they're being who they want to be. Exactly. In Westfield, people were on edge. Kids were terrified of walking down the street and people wanted answers. Neighbors were surprised when they heard the investigation was over. Most of the neighbors, get this, had never heard from the cops. The cops never canvassed the entire neighborhood. Ridiculous. So an extremely porous investigation. Yeah. uh, On behalf of the police. Now, under the glare of this huge media... Where are you going? What are you doing? You know, I, I take a moment sometimes to look uh, something up while you're talking and you freak out and there you're opening doors and windows, vacuuming. Sorry, sorry. It's just the one room that I have my temporary studio in in the house is the spare room and it's an oven in here. It's airless and it just gets really warm at night and I find it just makes me feel like I'm going to die. Like if it makes me feel tired and unwell and so I just open the window. Now that you've, now you've opened the window, maybe the moose will come by and say hello. So under intense media scrutiny, now the police actually reopen the investigation and get this, they bring a veteran detective uh, from the Westfield police in by the name of Baron Chambliss or Chambly. I'd like to call him Baron Chambly. So his name is Baron. He's not a Baron. His name is Baron, B-A-R-R-O-N. And then Chambliss, probably is how they say it there, but I like to think it's Sean Berens, Chambly. Baron Chambliss, Jesus. He has a monocle and a big curly mustache. And a stick, a walking stick, but it's actually, but it's actually booze. 
Oh, and a weapon. Yes. That never works. That never works. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he was called in. He's kind of their, their, their go-to guy for those cold cases. And he was asked to look at the case. And he said, the Broadduses are victims, and I don't think they got the support they needed. And he, he said this to Reeves Weidman, the, the uh, cut article guy. Chambliss knew his colleagues had looked closely at Michael Langford. According to his brother, Sandy Langford, Michael had been diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young man. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He sometimes spooked newcomers to the neighborhood when he did strange things like walk through their backyard or peek into the windows of homes that were being renovated. But those who knew him thought the odd things he did were mostly just unusual neighborly kindnesses. John Schmidt, the the neighbor that uh, had first told Derek about the Langfords, he's quoted as saying, he goes out and gets the newspapers for me every morning. And people who had known Michael for decades did not think he was capable of writing the letters. This was a kind and gentle soul. Eccentric, sure, right? Because of, yeah. probably because of the, the schizophrenia, but not a bad person. Not, just not, someone that people felt protective over. Right. Okay. Makes sense. As Chambliss looked into the case, he discovered something surprising. Investigators had had eventually conducted a DNA analysis on one of the envelopes and determined that the DNA belonged to a woman. Shambliss decided to look more closely at Abby Langford, Michael's sister, who worked, get this, as a real estate agent. Was she upset about missing a commission right next door? But, Shambliss says, the DNA sample was not a match. Oh. So it ain't her. Okay. Not long after, the prosecutor's office gave Derek and Maria some unexpected news. They wouldn't say why or how, but they had ruled out the Langfords definitively as suspects. They were innocent. Oh. The Broadduses were stunned. They had recently told the prosecutors that they planned to file civil charges against the Langfords and wondered if the prosecutors were lying to prevent the story from blowing up again. So left without a suspect, the Broadduses reopened their personal investigation they hired more people. They did a number of different things. Derek apparently, and he admitted to this, even considered hacking into people's Wi-Fis. He knew a guy, I guess, who was a hacker that, that could do that, but then realized, no, like I could go to jail for a mm-hmm. long time if if I got caught. So, and he didn't go through with it. But yeah, it, it the, nothing came to fruition as a result of this, you know, added time and money that they were spending. So can I just clarify something here? Because I might have missed this earlier. The letters were not postmarked they were hand delivered no they were postmarked okay okay thank you they were postmarked and that's why they could tell that they had been processed in the post office that would have been in the area so they hadn't traveled across you know right right state lines or most likely been sent from northern new jersey which is where they were thank you okay yeah chambliss and the westfield police were also back at square one the cops asked Andrea Woods for a DNA sample and interviewed her 21-year-old 20, son, who was apparently pretty shocked that, oh my God, all of a sudden, now I'm a suspect in this crime. But again, that didn't show anything. One night, this is interesting, one night, Shambliss and a partner were sitting in the back of a van parked on Boulevard, watching the house through a pair of binoculars. Around 11 p.m., a car stopped in front of the house long enough for Shambliss to grow suspicious. He says he traced the car to a young woman in a nearby town whose boyfriend lived on the same block. The woman told Shambliss her boyfriend was into some, and this is a quote, some really dark video games, including in Shambliss's memory, one in which he was playing as a specific character called The Watcher. As for the female DNA, Shambliss figured the girlfriend or someone else could have helped. Uh, the boyfriend was living elsewhere at the time, but Shambliss says he agreed to come in for an interview on two separate occasions. However, he didn't show up either time and Shambliss didn't have enough evidence to compel him to appear. And with the immediate attention dying down, he dropped the case and moved on. No. Can you believe that? No, no, it needs to be pursued. You need to exhaust that lead. She had a reason for being there, but she did slow down in front of the house. Again, it's circumstantial evidence. So she could have been stopping because this is the creepy house and ooh, looking and and... The Watcher, as we know, is a common name. It's a name of a freaking TV, or it's based around a, a TV show on Disney Plus right now, right? The the What If. I don't know what that is. So it's based on the character from the Marvel Universe, The Watcher, who is watching everything, the multiverse, all the time. There's a new show called What If that's quite fun on Disney Plus. 
and it's sort of like alternate universe stuff. So it's not an uncommon name. Yeah. Again, circumstantial, right? doesn't mean that this guy did it. However, a bit strange that he would agree to come and then not come. Again, not a sign of guilt though. He could have just been afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't want the police looking into his personal life. I still though, if I had been in their shoes, would have exhausted that lead. Right. I agree. Maybe if it had been like a murder case, perhaps they would have pushed harder. One theory neighbors had was that the Broadduses had suffered buyer's remorse or realized they couldn't afford the home and concocted an elaborate scheme to get out of the sale. Or that Derek was cooking up some kind of insurance fraud. Or they were angling for a movie deal. And I need to mention that at this point in time, they actually were offered several offers, but they turned them all down. And there was a movie that was made based on this story that I can't remember what, it's a shitty movie, I think. Um, But they actually um, had to change a whole bunch of different details about the movie in order to not be sued by the Broadduses. Oh, okay. So this is like, at this point in time, the anti-Amityville. Yeah. They're not, they're not looking for publicity and they are not looking to, to make money out of this. In fact, since this unfolded, they've spent how much money renovating the Mm -hmm. home, but also investigating. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. And since that time, they haven't done the traditional interview circuit. They've not. Okay. They've not. They have not talked to anybody at this point, except for the police. And that theory that you presented about them wanting to get out of the agreement because they were overextended financially, well then- Then you don't spend money on a renovation. You you, you quit the renovation. Put it back up for sale because you said that there were numerous bids. And you, and you, you ask for $10,000 more. Yeah. And you're, you're good. You're, it doesn't make sense. Stupid. Yeah. You actually. walk away whole. There's no reason that they would go that far. So needless to say, the Broadus is, and I think any sane, logical person can see that there are answers to, to all these questions and it, it's not them. This was being done to them for sure. So meanwhile, the Broadus still had to figure out what to do with their $1.3 million home. Feeling as if they were out of options, the Broadus' real estate lawyer proposed an idea. Sell the house to a developer who could tear it down and split the property into two sellable homes. Unfortunately, this rezoning had to gain board approval and, and the board unanimously rejected the proposal. They also had an idea to turn it into a halfway home uh, for for veterans and that was turned down as well. Of course, no affluent na- neighborhood's going to put up with that. Right. They don't want any PTSD guys walking around their neighborhood. Right. Mm-hmm. You can die for our country, but don't, don't ask for it. Yeah. Anything. Don't kill our vibe. Derek and Maria were distraught. Even if the plan had gone through, it would have only staunched the financial bleeding. On top of the mortgage and renovations, get this, they had paid around $100,000 in Westfield property taxes. Yeah, and they spent at least that amount investigating the watcher. Father Michael Saparito, the priest who blessed the house, went to one of the planning board meetings and told Reeves Weidman he was taken aback by how many people had come up to him and said they thought the whole thing was a hoax. And he said, I think the human element of this story was kind of lost on the neighbors. Not long after the planning board's decision, the Broadduses got some good news. A family with grown children and two big dogs had agreed to rent the house. The renter told the Star-Ledger, He wasn't worried about the watcher, though he had a clause in the lease that let him out in case of another letter. Two weeks later, Derek went to 657 to deal with a maintenance issue at the house. And guess what? The renter handed him an envelope that had just arrived. Oh no. And the letter said the following. This was on the cover. Violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife. Maria. This letter, two and a half years after the watcher appeared, came out of nowhere. It was dated February 13th, the day the Broadduses gave de- depositions in their lawsuit against the Woodses, which I think is interesting. Yeah, the timing is somewhat suspect. The letter, when open, went as follows You wonder who the watcher is? Turn around, idiots, the letter read. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the Watcher could be. Or maybe you do know, and you are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. It went on. 
I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. And the attempt to tear down the house. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. And I do need to note the town had really turned on the Broadduses at this point. They were receiving hate mail. People were calling them liars. People were calling them all sorts of horrible things. The whole neighborhood and town had turned on them, which is kind of weird when you stop and think. This is a a young family Mm -hmm. who's been victimized, and people are protecting some unknown entity. Yeah. And I think that's odd. Yeah, it's clearly somebody in that area, to to my way of thinking anyway. I could be completely off base, but it seems to me it's got to be somebody in that geographic vicinity. And the way people were, not everyone, of course, but the way some people were reacting to this, it almost seemed like they were trying to protect whoever was writing these letters. Yeah, closing ranks. So the letter also indicated revenge might be coming. Maybe a car accident. Maybe a fire. Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. You are despised by the house. And the Watcher won. So according to Maria, she said it was like we were back at the beginning. Derek took the letter to police headquarters where a detective looked at a neighborhood map and they traced a circle around the house 300 yards in diameter suggesting the watcher must be somewhere in there. And this is not new though. Like Derek had done that two, two and a half years previous, right? Just trying to figure out who could have seen. So it's not like a new lead. The Broadduses continued to press the case, but there still wasn't much for law enforcement to go on. And it was possible to look up and down the street and see the watcher in practically anyone. The Broadduses no longer live in ever-present fear that the Watcher might strike at any moment, but they do continue to deal with the lingering effects from the letters. This has traumatized them. The Watcher had expressed a desire to protect the boulevard from change, but instead it had been torn apart. There is a silver lining for the family, however. Two things. According to Deadline, Netflix did buy the rights to their creepy tale in 2019. Oh, okay. I I don't think that's been made yet. That would be kind of quick, especially with, you know, um, the pandemic hitting months later. Uh, And in that same year, they were finally able to sell their home. And according to CNN, the house sold for 959,000. So they took a loss. They took a, a huge hit. Yeah. Considering also all the things that they spent. What or who was the watcher? What did it really want And is 657 Boulevard still under its surveillance? Riley, that is the tale of The Watcher. Oh, I love that one. Okay, so this is the first thing that I want to throw at you. It is really remarkable when you look back at this story and realize that nothing happened but written words. There wasn't anything like a house pet wasn't killed. There wasn't spray painted messages on the garage door. There wasn't Molotov cocktails thrown through the windows. You can see how no, much- only that contractor sign ripped up. That's the only physical thing that was done to the home, but that could have been. Kids. I was just going to say that sounds like just routine teenage vandalism in a neighborhood. Yeah. When you consider the fact that this is all just the written word, you have to give the person credit for constructing these messages in such an effective way as to be so off-putting because I'm unsettled. What on earth were they trying to achieve though? Fucking with somebody, man. I guess. You know, on one hand you could say maybe they were trying to get them to move out. Like people are saying, well, maybe someone was angry, but he's begging for them to, or she is begging for them to come. Yeah. I tell you a story. One time back in the eighties, 
Um, I was coming back to my car. It was parked in the Byward Market. People who don't live in Ottawa know the city. Byward Market is a big tourist area. It's mostly restaurants and nightclubs. It's the oldest part of the city. Yeah, and it's just very historic. People who live here now don't really go near it because it's gross. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's that's what it is. My car was parked in the Byward Market. I came out of having coffee with friends because I was in my early 20s and that's all we did. We would get together for coffee and smoke cigarettes and talk about the future and dream. Came out and there was a note on the windshield of my car. Oh. And I still have it. It was a really long handwritten note saying that somebody was really into me. And then after that, about two weeks after, I thought nothing of it. I thought, oh, it's one of my friends fucking with me. About two weeks after that, I got another note. This time, it was in university waiting for me in the stage management booth because I was running sound for a show. And it was sitting on top of the soundboard saying, and it was same writing, same basically, same thing. Oh. Okay. So then there was a bulletin board in the theater department where people would put messages for each other. Do you remember that? You mm-hmm. went there? Yeah, I used to write weird shit on there all the time. And someone left a third letter for me there. And then a fourth letter appeared at my home. And that was it. I never heard again. And it was... And were, the same message? Yeah, and time? it was it was really weird. It was like, you know, oh, blah, 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 blah. I'd really like to meet you, but I'm afraid you wouldn't like me and blah, blah. It was all this weird, manipulative bullshit. I didn't really get into it or fall for it at the time. They never... They said, you know, I'd really love to get the courage to meet you, blah, 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 blah. How'd they know where you live? That was the question. So you see, up until that point, I'd been pretty sure it was someone in the theater department just being a fool, right? Because, you know, theater attracts a lot of... Um, like me. A lot of... What's, how can we say this? Eccentric? Yes. Shit disturbers? Interesting personality types. Yes. And But then when it, the fourth letter arrived at my house, it, it left the realm of that... Of me thinking, oh, it's just somebody in the theater department being an asshole. And I was very unsettled, but I still have the letters, never got to the bottom of who it was. And for about a month, I was really freaked out. Yeah. It freaked me the fuck out because the idea of you being watched and scrutinized by someone you're not aware of is really, really unsettling. I had something similar uh, happen to me a few decades ago now where I'd done a television interview and I got like literal mail uh, sent to me from a gentleman who wanted me to come and have a hot tub and didn't, but the, no name just said like me, like I saw you on the news and I thought you were so beautiful. And so that was weird that they wrote a letter. They wrote it to the school that I was teaching oh, at. No. It was connected to the school. And then they sent it a second time, like a few weeks later asking why or how we could maybe meet. And he couldn't stop thinking about me and, and it was odd. It was odd. You know, like, anyway, it was the, the, the fact that it was anonymous. Mm-hmm. It just was an odd feeling. No. And, and the thing with this story too, that I find odd, like you're saying that they're screwing with them. Here's my question then. Why hasn't he done this to others? Or maybe he has, it's possible that this has continued and the new owner is just keeping it hushed up. I don't or know. Or he fucks with other people in other houses, in other neighborhoods. I should note too, that there was a report that Around the same time that Derek got his first letter, someone else in the neighborhood got one that was similar. Oh. So possible that it was just someone having their moment, right? But the words are constructed in such a very novel, like not novel, like as in new, but novel as in... Young blood. Yeah, written. It's written in a very short story. It's not written in um, like to be spoken. It's written definitely like creative writing style. The other piece too that I found interesting was immediately after the priest, and this is why I included this in the story, because it's just this, it can appear sort of as a throwaway, but immediately after the priest blessed the house, he talks about being hurt. What have you done to this house? It's like he had stained this guy or this house. I didn't even make that connection until just now. Good for you. Right? And I thought that was really weird. How would he know that a priest had been there if he isn't surveilling the house from the inside? The thing that bugs me about this story is nothing happened at that house in the past. That we know of. Yeah. That we know of. It's relatively new house. You know, it's 20. No, it's 110 years old. new now. 20th century house. It's not that old. Yeah, yeah. Turn of the century, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 1904 it was built, or 1905. Yeah, okay, just before World War One. Old enough to still have its own little history. Yeah. And who knows what was built there before. Although the watcher does say that it's only been three generations of watching. And uh, here's the other thing, waiting. 
They're waiting for something. I wonder. The second coming, they refer to. Oh, okay. Maybe Jesus is going to be born in that house. Maybe it's some kind of weird, sacred site for people who are into some kind of dark art. Yeah, who knows? So that, Riley, is the story of The Watcher. I hope you enjoyed it. And good listener, I hope you enjoyed it too. That was creepy, creepy, creepy. And I have to give you credit, Dan, and I don't often do that. Um, is that the voice you used did no, I gotta know. Did you practice before this podcast or that just came out of your ass? Oh no, I, that was pre, I didn't improvise that. Voice. That voice was great. Yeah. I think that if they do a movie, it, they should call you. They should hire me to be the voice of the letter. Cause you gave it that perfect inflection. Honestly, it was lovely. Well, sometimes putting on that warm, kind sounding voice can be creepier than hey, doing that. Oh, exactly. Welcome to the neighborhood. Like that, that's dumb. I've said it many times. One of the creepiest old men characters in the world is in the movie Poltergeist 2. And that's how he is. He's like, Oh, hi, Caroline. Yes. You're such a pretty girl, aren't you, Caroline? Yeah. Oh, uh. One of our viewers did uh, share that photo, or viewers, one of our listeners shared a photo of that guy. Yeah, he was dying at the time. Was he was he dying really? when they were filming it. That's why he looks so bad. He was dying of cancer. He's actually an amazing man. Kind of a hippie. Oh, yeah? Wait, had he been in other things? I uh, can't. Don't, I can't remember, Dan, honestly. But I know that he was celebrated as being one of the creepiest villains on screen uh, in a long time. That old preacher guy. Jesus, Lord have mercy. It, it was Barb Weatherby who found the picture and posted that. So thank you, Barb, for adding to our... Uh, picture collection thank you barb yeah that you know what i'll find some information about that actor and, and throw it at you next time uh barb you're you've won a free salami sandwich from gilboa fruits Fru- and it's called fruits now i just noticed they, that they, the legal department finally they came to a decision and they've joined foods and fruits into fruits gilboa fruits fruit sound like something that woman would a woman would have worn in the elizabethan area milady you can't go out without your fruit it does doesn't it yeah or drink yep it does can you get me a tankard of fruit (laughs) why do i find that i don't know why maybe we're tired and it's we are yeah can i tell you something else i had a whole glass of you did i saw you you just downed that like valley of the dolls i have a straw (laughs) i watched this week on netflix one of my favorite shows on netflix which is the movies that made us Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you watch, I just started watching the ones that. about the horror movies? And they tell you the story of the making of Halloween, mm-hmm. Friday the 13th, and of course, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Could these have been more fun episodes to watch? Because those films, they just pulled those films off by a miracle. And lots really? of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's funny because... You know, you think, oh, it, you know, this was made a certain way, and it's just, everything's so random and exciting and fun, and it just makes, I don't know, it just makes things seem more possible in the world. Anyway, I really recommend it to everyone, because it's just really lovely. I only watched the uh, Back to the Future and Home Alone episodes so far. Oh, you got to watch the Halloween ones, because they're on now for yeah, Halloween. Yeah, well, I, I, will, I will watch them. And now. I also watched the show that everybody's talking about, Midnight Mass, which is by the guy who did Hill House and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I liked it, but Jesus Lord, he likes to write monologues. It mm. was the most monologue-heavy thing I've seen in a long time, and I think it weighed the series down. But it was mm. well worth it. Dan, you should watch it. You'll like it. It's really good. And there is one of the wildest church scenes, horror scenes in a church, you will ever, ever see. Cool. Okay, I'll watch it next. Oh, I loved your podcast this week, Dan Lajwa. I loved it. Thank you, Riley Stewart. It's that voice. 657 is my, oh, it's just, oh, yeah, and he was so warm and happy. Now I'm going to have to kill you. Oh, ah. All right, folks, thank you for listening to The Weird. You know, we ask the same thing uh, every week. If you like listening to The Weird, please share the word of The Weird with all your friends, families. If you have a goat that talks funny and makes words that sound like human words, then tell the goat, train it to bleed out Riley Stewart, Riley Stewart, Riley Stewart, or the weird, whichever. Uh, It will make Riley happy, and it will make his father finally proud of him. You said a mouthful. 
Uh, yeah, folks, we love that. I say it every week, but I mean it. We love that you're on this wild ride with us, and we do this for you, and we do this because we love these stories, and we hope that you love them as much as we do. And right now, we're in the thick of beautiful, smoky, dark, strange October, so it's the perfect time to share tales of the weird. So until next week, I'm Riley Stewart. And I'm Dan Lejois. See you later. Good night, everybody. Are you lost, sweetheart? Are you afraid, honey? Well, why don't you come with me? All right. I'll sing you a song till your mom comes back. God is in his holy town. Earthly thoughts be silent now. 